There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before, there was always the sort of formula. You know, you start with a BTO and, you know, going to, uh, you know, resale and then executive condominium, you know, or you can skip this, you know, and to the condo, right? But I don't think this formula is going to work anymore. So why do you have to always, you know, start with a BTO if you think, you know, this resale option is a better alternative for you than the BTO? You can start with a different options. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome to the alternative budget discussion with me, Rakesh, from the TFC team. And, and I'm your co-host, me- Budget Beat. Um, today on set, we have two very special guests because for this topic, which is quite in-depth mm. and also a very emotional one for many Singaporeans, we want to tackle both the theoretical side, the research side, as well as the practical realities on the ground. So we're bringing together two experts that perfectly reflect that. Um, the first would be... Hi, my name is Nicholas. I'm a real estate consultant and budget bitch husband. <laughs> <laughs> and for our research expert, we have... Hi, I'm Kwan Ok Lee. I'm an associate professor and a dean's chair of urban planning at uh, NUS Business School. Wow, welcome varied. Welcome huh? Yes, very welcome. Very varied. Um, I can't wait and really excited to see how this discussion is going to lead. For this episode, the whole topic is around property. Is the property ladder still a thing? We're going to focus on three things. First is on affordability. Is the HDB still affordable in this current market? Secondly, is around the fact of can we actually do this property ladder thing that you know our parents have been doing? Where they start off with the HDB, they then move to a private property. Is that still a viable option for us growing up? And last but not least, can we retire on some sort of a property portfolio, right? Is that still a, a, a good angle uh, for us to think about retirement? Or should we just put it all into CPF life, right? That's, that's effectively the three parts of the discussions we want to bring up. Maybe we're going to hear any thoughts on the ground in terms of affordability in HDB now. I think for our, I can share about our case. So um, we chose to go down the resale route because with BTOs as much as they're great and everyone wants and hope, including us, that we would win the BTO lottery. (laughs) (laughs) But the chances and the odds are not that Mm. great either. And it has a lot of uncertainty, like like waiting time. So if you're a couple trying to have a family, you intend to give birth, it's not a game that we can afford to because of the other factors. So we went down the resale HDB routes and resale HDB is not cheap either but we by deliberately choosing those with shorter lease we were still able to make it affordable yeah so i would say affordability in hdb the good thing is that our government is working on it there are lots of policies around to help us achieve that but it really all boils down also to one's expectations and if you're willing to compromise on some stuff and it's in our case it's really the lease and the age of the house then i think it's definitely still affordable for most people especially after subsidies. I totally agree. So I do uh, the comparison between the different global cities, um, especially within Asia. In fact, Singapore's HDB public housing is very affordable compared to other cities. So we uh, use the standard measure called a price-to-income ratio, which is, uh, you know, you divide uh, uh, the median house price by uh, median household income. And Singapore's HDB is actually below five, which is very, very healthy and standard mm-hmm. affordability level. When you think about Hong Kong, it's close to 20. Even in uh, Seoul in South Korea, it's uh, over 10. So, you know, when we compare these global with the global cities uh, with uh, Singapore, Singapore is definitely affordable, especially for public housing, right? Now, I think you made a really uh, a good point, you know, affordable. Affordability also depends on how these different households choose their housing options, right? Mm-hmm. So people have to at least, you know, at some point they have to make a trade-off. You know, they cannot really uh, do the best thing for everything, you know. 
if you want to have a bit of uh, a lower price uh, housing, then you should uh, compromise your uh, housing size or location or lease or other, you know, sort of uh, financial incentives, right? Or if you really care about location, you can kind of, you know, pay a little more of premium, right? But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, these people really uh, suffer from affordability because that's what they choose, right? So I think uh, we have to really uh, think about how to define affordability because I know, you know, this has been a really increasing discussion in Singapore, you know, housing became unaffordable. But we have to also consider we have a growing uh, larger income compared mm-hmm. to before. So uh, it's not really about the price level. We have to think about, you know, how affordable for different groups of the people, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, what is really, you know, what we concern more about is actually there are uh, people, you know, global people who actually suffer more for this affordability, even for the lower tier housing. You know, this is somebody, you know, we have to really care about, but not for everybody. I think for the median level income households in Singapore, they can still afford um, a lot of different options. That's yeah, that's really insightful. Yes. I mean, I didn't know the exact numbers for our peers in Asia, mm. but knowing that it's 10 times and 20 in Hong Kong really puts that into perspective, right? Because all we see, we're kind of sheltered and all of all we always yeah. do as typical Singaporeans is to complain. We're like, wow, <laughs> during my parents' time, houses were only this much and now it's so much more. It's risen yes. by 10 times. And it sounds like a huge amount. It sounds like houses are no longer affordable. Yeah. But when you put it in that context and we really need the right number to really focus on, of course, is the price-to-income ratio. I think that really says a lot. So we feel the pain. It doesn't invalidate our pain. It's still painful. Yeah. But it's good to know that, wow, Everyone says it's painful, but the pain is four times more weaker. in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. weaker <laughs> in Singapore. Yes. yes, much weaker. I mean, what do you feel on the ground? Personally, I'm a beneficiary of um, our policy in Singapore. Yeah, because I bought a resale flat together with my wife. So, um, I'm quite thankful of the policies around. So our government actually has this motto of making a housing affordable for every Singaporeans. I think they are doing their very best in fulfilling that. First of all, right. They actually came out with a housing, CPA housing grant for first-timer to mm-hmm. help either for BTOs or resale. For resale, because of the price fluctuation, they even come out with an enhanced housing grant and stay near parent grants. They will work out to be about between 160000 all the way up to 180000 wow. And that will actually help in terms of subsidizing our flat. So now, uh, when we talk about housing, right, affordability is subjective. One of the things that we need to identify is whether we are looking for homestay or investment. When we talk about homestay, we talk about cost of living. And that will help us to work out numbers at what kind of price category, which location, what kind of uh, sizing should we look at. Mm. You know, uh, even accessibility is subjective as well. A 10 minutes walk to a train station can be very near for someone. Likewise, someone considered 5 minutes near and they cannot afford working 10 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I like to think that our country have planned our estate quite well in terms of uh, making transportation infrastructure connectivity very good mm. right we are mostly just a few bus stops away from train station and they are still making effort to it by 2030 8 out of 10 households will be just 100 meters away from a train station and we got the new lines popping yeah out. we are on track of if course. you if you really look at the MRT rock planning right we are really on track on that I mean just I think at, at that point right just to go a little bit on a negation sort of thing I think it is a necessity for us to make sure that we have a public transport close to our home. Mm. It's Singapore more than any, almost anywhere else, well, maybe Hong Kong as well. But mm-hmm. um, because it's so expensive to own a car, right? The government is trying to tell us to use public transport as the only means of transport mm-hmm. elsewhere. So I think that should be part, or rather for me, that's the expectation that it should be within five minutes or eight minutes of walking because that's the only thing that the government wants us to do and therefore driving that behavior. Hmm. So, I, w- I mean, for me, I wouldn't put it as a positive point. I put it as part of just... Package. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, Singapore has done a very good job. You know, HDB uh, town planning has been excellent. You know, a lot of uh, other uh, government officials want to learn about hmm. uh, this, right? And then they come and, you know, take a look at, like, you know, different HDB towns. Uh, you know, we have a 20-minute uh, town and 45-minute city plan uh, proposed by LTA. Oh. So, that means uh, almost every daily lives you can actually do within 
uh, 20 minutes within your town to your job and to a bit, uh, you know, to the regional activities, you know, it can be done within 45 minutes. So it's very, very self-sufficient kind of uh, towns, you know, and that includes the public transportation accessibility, not only that, you know, walking, cycling, you know, other sort of travel modes. So I think with this very good town planning and self-sufficiency that we have tried to achieve in each, every HDB town, I think, yeah, it just comes as a package. And it's not like, you know, only, you know, several options, you know, have a good accessibility. I think most of the HDB towns, as you mentioned mm. earlier, have a very good accessibility. But then, you know, what we have to be concerned about is that there are still some areas that are a bit more remote, you know, and, you know, less accessible. You know, those areas are the areas that we have to really focus on in the next years. And then, you know, how to improve accessibility. Yeah, but yet, despite all these, we're hearing a lot of people talk about how houses are not affordable in Singapore, right? So you're on the ground, you deal with a lot of these clients. Do you find that they are also saying, oh, houses are not affordable for me and my family to move in anymore? Or is it that they're just trying to play the property game? So their definition of affordability <laughs> is actually from the fact that for them to buy an investment property costs a lot more mm. than what it cost their previous the generations before them. Which exactly is the situation? I hear I hear it from both sides. That's why I mentioned that affordability is subjective. Also, it depends on one's aspiration in terms of lifestyle and where we stay. I give an example, uh, a more extreme example. Purchasing a 5 million property can be affordable to someone, mm -hmm. but yet extremely unreachable for normal Singaporeans. It's subjective, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, if you ask me, it's really what we are aspiration that we, we want for ourselves. Yeah, yes. Our property prices definitely have increased over the years. It's normal for a country that is growing well. Our economy is healthy. Our country is healthy. Growth is inevitable. But I also believe that um, our government is making effort to also help to increase the income of our residences. But it's the point and the pain point about this lack of affordability is that coming more from aspiring homeowners who just want a place to, you know, live and raise their family? Or is it coming more from the investors who want to buy the property mm. and like, mm. last time I can buy for one million and play this block property flipping Flip game, game. Yeah. and now it cost me two million i cannot play anymore i would like to think that it's mainly for property investors it's more for the investors yes. right mm. yeah Hope so you're saying is that for the, those who really just want to own a house raise their family i don't care whether i flip or not but it'd be nice to stay in a prime flat area <laughs> <laughs> but i don't I, i'm not here for the flipping okay so for them it's still affordable but it's for those who, ooh, prime area. I can yeah. buy and flip and profit and then move on and continue playing this game. Huh? Now you block me in with 10 years, the price have gone up and these are the ones where they're saying it's not affordable anymore, but it's because the trade-offs and the objectives are just different. Correct. Right? I think, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's a little different as well, right? I think when you look at it in form of affordable, I think they're comparing it to say five years ago, right? Mm. Um, and I think COVID obviously did a lot of, of yeah. things to, to property. So we have to take that into consideration mm. when they mean affordable. Um, wage maybe went up, I don't know, I think the government said 5% or something like that over the last five years, but property prices have shot up. So I think in that regard, at least from my friends, from my people trying to get into the property market, they always tell me you got so lucky you bought it in 2019. Mm. That's, that's what I always hear. It, maybe like on your side, any any form of consensus or surveys? So a couple of different points, right? You know, about investment versus uh, actually, we call it a user demand, you know. So when you buy housing, it's inevitable, you know, you have to consider both user and the investment demand. Nobody just only consider, you know, I'm going to just use this house, no investment demand. You know, nobody is going to actually say, oh, you know, I'm going to purely uh, invest in this housing. There are some flippers, like you say, but, you know, there are few, very few, mm. not that many. So almost every single housing purchaser, they have both user and investment demand. You know, they don't even know how much investment demand they have. You know, it's very hard to distinguish this demand because it's a bundle. Housing is a, like a really bundle of goods. So right. it comes with a lot of different aspects you know uh, you use housing itself but also you use the neighborhood amenities around housing also you know like a good schools and all these you know public uh, transportation accessibility you know that kind of comes together as a bundle but investment potential is also very very good uh, important aspect for this housing purchase right so I think we cannot really say you know with what people kind of complain about affordability is mainly coming from the investors or the actual sort of home 
you know, users, you know, buyers, you know, it's very hard to distinguish in my opinion. But at least going back to your point, you know, in the last uh, several years, the reason why uh, reason why it becomes more serious is because I think a BTO application rate has gone up. So it means that for those who want to buy new homes and, you know, with a new family, they have to wait longer because the BTO uh, is uh, harder to get, you know, you have to wait longer. Then, you know, you go to resale markets, which are more expensive, of course, right? The, the demand has shifted a little bit, like, you know, from BTO to resale because uh, of this kind of delay in supply in BTO. And now the demand is higher in the resale market. Resale market price is determined by demand and supply market price, right? So, you know, that uh, price has gone up. So I think uh, this is kind of spit over from the BTO supply to the resale market and also to the condos. So, and of course, there is other thing, you know, uh, like you know, more uh, foreign investment demand and all these kind of things. But still, I uh, think the, the main thing was kind of this kind of BTO supply delay. So that kind of has a lot of spillovers to other markets. And therefore, are you expecting it to sort of level off in terms of pricing? Should there be, I mean, BTO, obviously, they're talking about all these supplies yes. happening over the next couple of years. Yes. Do you think, obviously, that will then spill downwards towards yeah. the resale market, towards the condo market, private property, everything else? I think so, you know, but don't trust me, you know, because <laughs> I'm, not very, I'm not a very good investor. I don't really own homes. So, you know, a lot of my friends complain, you know, when I give the advice, you know. Anyways, uh, yeah, but uh, in my very humble opinion, I think the price is going to stabilize over time because I think this is a kind of BTO supply delay is a temporary mm. kind of phenomenon. So, and then the government is very working very hard, you know, to supply more BTO uh, units in the coming years. And then the condo supply is also has been realized, uh, you know, and, you know, is increasing. So I, I think, you know, more supply and I think with uh, holding the demand constant, I think the uh, market will stabilize. Got you. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, a lot on, on affordability, right? But I think one of the things I do want to bring up is Lawrence Wong said the HDB will go to zero at the end of 99 mm. years. Like that will change your whole perception on HDB, <clears throat> right? Because growing up, everyone's saying, I mean, your parents at least are saying, hey, you buy this one first. Or you, you listen to real estate agents, right? Growing up when I was looking for a house, they say, don't buy resale, buy BTO. Then you buy resale. Then you buy condo. Then you buy lender. It's a letter. Yeah. Right, right. And they've been, they've been saying that to me so much. And I'm going, wait, economically, it doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe we'll hear from the actual real estate consultant. <laughs> okay, first of all, I'd like to address the affordability of HDB in Singapore. Over the next two years, in fact, these two years, we are expecting about 100,000 units in the pipeline to collect their keys. Wow. Okay. So, These are BTOs? Uh, uh, BTOs and private. Okay. Yeah. So what happened is that our government have put in effort to ramp up the supply of BTOs in the market. This is a strategy was, that was employed in 2013, if you can recall the property market, to ramp up the supply so that buyers have more choices, mm. right? The issue that we are tackling right now is that BTO is taking a slightly longer time to, to build. In fact, we experienced delay. And that was really what caused the resale price of uh, resale HDB during the COVID period to shoot up. Buyers are left with no choice. They have to purchase a resale market, uh, from a resale market. Mm. What our government is that is very smart in tackling this issue is that if you remember they came up with this policy of uh, decaying lease policy, the youngest buyer age plus the remaining lease of the house must add up to 95 years. Otherwise, mm. um, the CPF and loan, HDB loan usage will be affected. Which is exactly our case, by the way. Yes. Okay. We were affected by that policy because it came at a time where we were just about to buy the house and the youngest buyer is me because he, I'm obviously younger than him. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So we don't hit, right? Because we, we opted for a shorter lease. Okay. Yeah, so that, we didn't hit that. Yeah, that tackles uh, the rising resale price. It helps to mitigate the risk of decaying lease houses, public houses, from rising beyond reach. Over time, this will definitely have impact on the resale price in the market. And that also address uh, better location in mature estate. Let me explain that a little bit. Uh, so for those who don't understand, it's basically because if your pool of buyers now have to consider the fact that the lease being shorter and their young age do not match up to 95, that eliminates them from the voting pool unless they are cash rich. Hmm. Yeah, so then it balances out the demand supply. 
so that your houses that are older should ideally be going to people who are also older so they don't outlive the house too much and it all falls very nicely into the whole government plan of go to zero and 99 years I take back at a certain stage instead of the younger buyers using that to oh it's a resale in a prime location in Bishan I will use that but no yeah we know you are doing that so we're gonna put in this policy so you as the young buyer cannot play that flipping game anymore because I'm sorry your Bishan flat only left enough years to not hit your 95 so unless you have the money to play that game your cpf is not going to money not going to be the money that we will allow you to use to play that game in terms of private our government actually didn't really totally switch off the tech given that they recognize that singaporeans have aspiration to own a private property <laughs> given the fact that must still be room for singaporeans to own an investment property if you study the policies and the measures properly right what they are trying to do is they are trying to delay the intervals between each property flips, mm. right? And what our government have done last year is that they specifically target people that wants to own more than two properties. Okay. Only two properties are still possible as long as our income can support. Only more than two properties is where the real ABSD really starts to hit you. That's why they increase the property tax for the second property from 17 to 20% and then the subsequent ones to straight to 30% and then for PRs is straight like 30% and 35% but what they are very smart in is that if you look at how the prices have moved uh, in Singapore over the years especially the last 10 years private property actually increased by close to 55% a lot so faster than HDB now when we pull back and think back about the measures in terms of ABSC 20% can they recover? can I would like to think that it can it's just a matter of time. Therefore, they restricted the number of flips uh, between a short period of time. Before that, right, there was an era whereby you can flip property straight away. Yeah, the sell seller stamp Correct. duty before then, all of that. Then yeah. they came out with a four, four years yeah. stamp duty. Uh, seller stamp duty. A three years, actually. Then they reduced to three years. Yeah. They were very flexible because measures are there to balance the property market. So okay. this is how, how, how our government is uh, managing our property market. But yeah. So are you saying with all this involvement with the government, right? they want to effectively gear the pricing of this pri private market? In Singapore property market, right, actually it's quite crystal ball as long as you understand what our government is trying to tackle. Right. Yeah. How they are controlling the property prices is that for HDB, it's very clear price control. For private, delayed intervals of flipping. How they control that it was like I already mentioned ABSA and all those things how they control your price recently you realize that there are more government land sales by putting out government land sales they actually cut off a whole group of M block uh, millionaires that happened in 2017 and 18 why the prices shot so high was because there were a whole bunch of M block millionaires in the market and with money on hand they are more capable of spending mm. plus pushing on the prices now, to control that, our government actually released government, government lands. Usually, government lands still are slightly, uh, I would like to say that it's slightly more affordable compared to uh, MDOC. I think they are actively involved. So, with this in mind, does that mean, and this brings us to the next part of the episode, which is, does that mean the property dream, the property ladder is dead? Yeah. Is it still alive? Is, is, is it even a thing? Because it's all, it's all effectively guided, right? It's all effectively, oh, this is what you can do, this is what you can't. Is that even something that we should even consider as part of our investment? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think okay. there is a housing ladder in Singapore. Uh, you know, again, you know, compared to, we have to put it in the context uh, with a comparison with other cities. Um, I always uh, tell you know international audience, you know, when I talk about the Singapore housing market, it is very well segmented. Uh, segmentation meaning that you know we start with again, you know, what you say, uh, you know, with a rental, public rental housing or HDB mm -hmm. uh, owner occupied flats. But then you know we have other options. You know, after this, you know, you could you can go to uh, the executive condominium, you know, which is uh, for the sandwich class. And then you can go to like, you know, the, uh, the condo rental and, you know, the, the options, you know, other, you know, buying, buying options, right? And then we now have even more segments with the new BTO schemes. That's kind of navigating different uh, demand, you know, people with a different demand, you know, again, uh, people would uh, make a different trade-offs, you know, not everybody has a same set of demand, right? So mm -hmm. somebody uh, cares more about uh, locations, others care more about the MOP or or, you know, subsidy recovery, you know, so you can actually make your own decision 
what you prefer most and then is less important for you. And then you can make uh, different choices, you know, among these, all these different options, right? And then, of course, you know, after this, you know, you can accumulate some wealth. You know, of course, you know, homeownership helps you a lot with uh, wealth accumulation, whatever option it is, right? And then, you know, you just go from there, you know, to the next step. And, you know, I think uh, this segmentation makes uh, people's demand realization easier, simpler. And then, you know, you can go from there to the next step. But, you know, I think one other kind of uh, thing that I want to point to is that before there was always the sort of formula, you know, you start with a BTO and, you know, going to, uh, you know, resale and then executive condominium, you know, or you can skip this, you know, and to the condo, right? But I don't think this formula is going to work anymore because mm. in a lot of cases, perhaps, you know, the resale can be another alternative option to BTO. So why do you have to always, you know, start with a BTO if you think, you know, this resale option is a better alternative for you than the BTO? You can start with the different options. Of course, with a resale, you can also go up to the the upper ladder, like you know, other uh, uh, the condos. The formula can be customized for different people with a different right. demand. I think. Yeah. I think the part where where I'm trying to to grapple with, right, is I believe the property market ladder in Singapore is dead to a certain extent. For me, at least, the reason being. I'm one to segregate my personal life or my happy life where I want to stay, my home, with my investment. Mm. I'm not one to buy one house and then move. But that's and you. And then move. No, correct. <laughs> and the reason for that is because if you are selling at a high, it's my, my opinion, right? But if you're selling at a high, you're also buying at a high because you've nowhere to live. You have nowhere to live at all, right? Yeah, exactly. But it also boils down to many other factors. And I think uh, you raise a really good point that this whole property laddering game, what the government has done is to introduce another aspect that you now need to think about and factor into your decision. Mm -hmm. So it's always been a multifaceted decision, but with the MOP, for instance, no one used to think of MOP as a very big thing because it was flat mm -hmm. for everyone right? Regardless of where you stay, good location or not good location, you just need to live out and wait the five years. Then you can go and play your game. But now they're saying, nope, you want to go for the better place where you can earn and make more from the flipping, you wait longer. You wait 10 years. I'm going to yeah. slow down your flipping. Now it makes you think twice. So if you really still want to flip, are you ready to accept this 10 years delay in your life, which is a huge chunk? Or you want to continue playing your five-year game but you go elsewhere. And okay, so for me, I'm talking about the five-year game. Like I think the 10-year game is more of a trade-off in the sense where I want to stay in the prime areas and I want to live and work in that area anyways. And mm -hmm. I, before, we couldn't afford it because it was either condos and you can't really you know, pay for that sort of price, but you can if it's a HDB, but you got to live in it 10 years, I think 20 years or something like that. Even there's, there's a few schemes, right? Um, but if you're looking at, just say, the five-year the five-year game, so the older HDBs as you were, if you were to get that and then move off, the problem that I face is if I'm selling a house now where the prices are high, I'm buying and I want to move to a condo or to an EC, I'm also buying it at that price. Unless if I buy a second property, and that's why I say it's a little bit dead for me, I have to pay 15% in stamp just for that second property, right? And I'm Singaporean, don't forget. Yeah, and, but what do you But what do you expect? That's what it is, you know, for exactly, all the no, markets. Exactly. Yeah. No, so I don't understand why you, uh, or, you know, some people complain yeah. about this, you know, because so, that's the market mechanism. I understand, correct. So yeah. that's why I feel it's, it's no longer the same way as it was 20 years ago. You mean like uh, the wealth accumulated uh, through the property yes. cannot really make you rich? Not as, I would say not as rich as our previous generation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's true because all these cooling measures and, you know, other sort of uh, policies, that price appreciation and, you know, sort of windfall gains uh, have uh, decreased, you know, but that's that's uh, what the, all the policies are uh, for because we continue to make this kind of the property wealth gains really high, then that means uh, there is no uh, really low affordability. This is uh, like, you know, two different things, right? If you want to make the housing affordable for the next generation, you know, for new buyers, you have to compromise of these windfall gains, right? So if you want to continue allowing windfall gains, that means, you know, those uh, next purchases, they have to, somebody has to pay for mm. these uh, gains, right? Then these are uh, new purchasers that have to bear all the costs, exactly. which the government doesn't want. Yes, and I think that's where the lines are getting blurred, right? Because HDBs is being public housing. It's meant to be affordable. It's meant for you to stay and not meant for you to flip. But over yeah. the years, mm -hmm. because it coincided with the growth of the Singapore economy, what happened was 
HDBs and BTO now became a flipping game. Mm-hmm. You can actually make good money. You don't have to do it in the private market. But mm-hmm. that was never the intention. That's not mm-hmm. what the social fabric is all mm-hmm. about. So what the government is doing is trying to bring it back to what it's supposed to be so that, okay, you guys can go and speculate in the private market if you want. Okay, mm-hmm. I have lesser controls over there. You can go and set your own prices. It's private, not within my entire jurisdiction to control. But yeah. when it comes to HDB, I have more say. I'm going to make it even harder. You want to use my public housing to flip and make your gains at the expense of everyone else in society, including mm. a lower income. I'm going to stop you there. Or I can't stop you, but I'm going to slow you down. Take 10 years. Mm. Give me a subsidy clawback. Right? Can you talk a little bit more about like, give us some insight on, the, on how this has happened. What are the government measures that have been done to make it so difficult for people to play the BTO lottery game yeah. because of the prime plus and standard yeah, so I guess the greatest game changer was the plus and the prime. So what happens is that the MOP uh, became 10 years. The resale eligibility criteria have the same BTO restriction. What happens is that there is an income ceiling, which is 14,000. If you work through the numbers, right? Actually, our government is trying to restrict the million dollar BTOs. Mm. 14,000, it work with uh, mortgage servicing ratio 30%. No matter how you add, it's about max of about 1.2 million. The rest are all COVs. Now, with a 10 years MOP restriction, what you have effectively done is this. If I want to fit the property and gain a, from the lottery effect, 10 years is too long for me. Mm. The property market will change. My installment will have become higher because the years to return my mortgage will have been reduced depending on my age. 10 years for a normal HDB or resale, I can fit two times. Five years MOP, five years MOP. If today I jump straight to a private, I can fit three times. Mm-hmm. They're making this distinction very huge so that people that are genuine homeowners, genu- genuine home upgraders that needed the place, the location, have a fair opportunity to own a home. Plus, making, um, going back to the motto, affordable home. I actually have an answer for you uh, yeah. for your question just now. Um, Please. What you are actually targeting on, right, is actually called value retention, right? It's not even like homestay or investment. It's called what I call value retention. Is there still room? Yes. Mm. Huge subjective, right? Depending on budget. You're saying that you sell sell high now, right? You purchase a private property. Might not be a a new new development. Resale, resale, right? Because we're looking at homestay, right? But yet we want value retention. Private resale, I would like to think that there is still value retention compared to a public housing now in this current situation. Now when we look at private resale, the next thing we're going to ask ourselves is time horizon. Are we going to flip again? Or because we're looking at value retention, it's a middle ground, mid to long-term home, mm. right? Looking at how our land prices have gone, actually very simple in Singapore real estate, all can be calculated through numbers. In the long run, right, very seldom a private owner will lose money. Now, looking at the average prices PSF in Singapore, by 2030, based on, if I remember correctly, the DBS report, home prices is going to be around 2009 PSF. Now, if you go to resale private condo with a larger space, good for a family, is that still value retention if you enter in 1003 PSF, 1005 PSF? Mm. Is it too much to ask to just increase by 200 PSF? Now, if only $200 PSF, right, isn't that already a slight very tension for you. So the, the, the thing is that is there, still, there is still room, but how we play the game is different. Yeah, so is there a difference between the central region and the non-central region with regards to the yes, investments? Yes, yeah. there is. So depending on what you are looking at. Let me give you a, a place to look at. It's actually our URA master plan. Mm. If you do your research in URA master plan, you'll know what is coming ahead. So you, you will know which areas have slightly better potential. One of the things that would like us to consider, in order for people to want to buy the property, we must know where our audience is coming from. In Singapore, especially for Singaporeans, livelihood is for kids and schools. Agree? So that's also one of the reasons why rest of core region and OC, OCR, outside of core, the growth is a lot higher. Why? Because there are many good schools around there. Most of the good schools are around there. If I want to move to Green Southern Waterfront, yes, a lot of potential, but... Don't forget, eventually you're going to have kids, right? Where are the kids going to go attend your school, primary school from? <laughs> then the next thing, next logical thing will be, oh, now I need to sell my investment property and buy. Either that, either that or oh, no, I don't have kids. Huh? <laughs> yeah, then Lee Hsien Loong will say he's very sad. Then I can stay at Kapo. Hey, look, this is the new, the new part. Public housing scheme actually allows single to purchase prime location. I, I think yeah. it's a good, good idea, you know? I was just discussing with my wife, right? Actually, 
It's quite smart because you see all the singles work there, working working singles executive all congregate there. Definitely there will be a social circle around there. Who knows you might meet your partner over there, right? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that before? Actually, quite smart. Eh? It's localized Tinder, is it? What's happening now? I know, right? <laughs> no, I think the central area is more popular. Uh, you know, it's more stable and, you know, maybe high potential for investment is because uh, there is a foreign demand. So if any mm. uh, foreign investors want to come and invest in Singapore property market, they will look at the central mar- uh, area first. Of course, you know, there will be some more savvy, you know, uh, those, you know, China investors so they can look at you know outskirts of uh, central areas but you know immediately like you know the most popular area is a central area and then of course you know we have seen the decrease in trans- number of transactions in central area after the the very strong cooling measure uh, that was announced uh, after uh, last year last right year. so yes so we could definitely have some evidence you know on uh, the really high uh, and uh, concentrated foreign demand in the central area but you know it's going to continue even with the cooling measures right because you know, there are a lot of very wealthy Chinese, you know, other sort of uh, buyers uh, from the region. They can uh, still, you know, bear this uh, cooling uh, measure. And, you know, they can pay all the ABSD and you know, they can still afford the uh, housing in central areas. So the, the demand is there. In addition to, of course, you know, local demand, you know, for good schools and other amenities, you know, there are, you know, those, you know, yeah. local demand together with the foreign demand. The, so, the, the audience is different. So yeah. actually, we have to be very clear what kind of investment we want to do. What kind of card game you want to play, depending on our budget? It's like in the past, when people were playing the property ladder, it was easier, it was more simple. Mm. You just go through the, buy a good BTO, then you get your lottery ticket. After that, you flip, <laughs> you earn six digits <laughs> in profits. Okay? You use that amount to go and buy and pay the down payment for a private condo in a as good or hopefully better location and then wait mm. for it to rise. And then you flip again and you can go to another condo, your second condo after that. Right? And then after that, you flip one more time and with all these gains compounded, you then can go into your landed if you mm. wanted to. Or you can start to downgrade and then use the cash to fund the rest of your livelihood and expenses and don't have to worry too much about things. That used to be very easy to play. Right? The locations were pretty much the only... like It was just mostly money and the location that you had to think about. But now what has changed, and if we're hearing you right, it's about more factors in that equation. Mm. It's about Mm. understanding who is the market now and who will be your future audience that will add to that demand. So people don't really, may not go for the CCR, Central Region uh, condos, because the price is out of reach, right? But when you understand that, hey, actually the OCR and RCR, there are condos there where the PSF is cheaper, but they're good schools. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So there will be local demand to come in and buy over from me in the future because my kid graduate already. So my kid can go to that good school now. Next time, I don't need already because out of that school, move somewhere else like Pulau NTU mm. or NUS. Okay, then you want to go and stay in halls, I don't need already. Then I move out to another place. But then another parent who needs to get the kid into that school, yeah. and it doesn't have to be just a local, it can be a PR as well, is going to come over and there's going to be that strong demand for my house. So my house will not lose the value, it will at least retain. And as Singapore property trends upwards, I'm going to make money as well. Hmm. Yeah, so I think that is very smart, right? It's making the decision more complicated, hmm. more factors, more multifaceted stuff that you have to think about. But if you understand and grasp this right, you can still play the property ladder game. But if you are just super simplistic, hey, it's just location and MOP and money. Ha, huh, 10 years. Ha, huh, now 700, 800. Then sorry, you don't understand the game. So you would think mm. it's dead. Then yeah, can I? Then you, but you I uh, have a little bit of objection to define this uh, property ladder as a game. I don't think, uh, you know, when I say the property uh, ladder or the, you know, ho- I call it like a housing ladder or social mobility, you know, it's not for the game, you know, to make money, mm. you know, to pay, 
to make profit. Uh, for me, the latter is a social mobility, you know. So, of course, you know, we want to support those who start as a, a bit of a lower income. And, you know, if they can have a um, HDB flat rather than renting, they can accumulate their wealth better than, you know, their, they rent a house, right? So over time, they have, you know, a bit of, uh, you know, those wealth accumulation, you know, maybe house price appreci appreciate a little bit. And, you know, after like, you know, maybe uh, 20 years, 30 years, they can just, you know, have a larger house because now they have a larger family or, you know, they have other needs, right? Um, it doesn't mean that like, you know, uh, we flip like, you know, over and over, you know, several times and, you know, just, you know, uh, have a uh, top of the, uh, the ladder. You know, that's not what I actually meant. I want to clarify. Mm. But, uh, mm. you know, of course, some people think, you know, this is a game. Uh, I think uh, that's what the government doesn't want. Mm. So, the, the, you know, it's not that they want to make it more complicated game. I think they don't want the game. That's that's my kind of uh, that's my kind of idea. Take, take the dice and throw it away. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, you know, when we think about this, right, the HDB has a deficit really huge mm. deficit every year more than two billion dollars it's mm -hmm. all taxpayers money it's a lot of actually investment what is the uh then you know this investment for uh to make you know the the people's well-being you know and their sort of you know uh stable homes you know and and, and you know and that can actually uh, have a positive spillover uh, on, on their life you know not for making money you know yeah. of course you know mm. some of these accumulation you know wealth accumulation can be used for your retirement you know we can talk about this later it's not the purpose that you know oh you know you can flip this and that you know you just you know make profit because that's a zero-sum game because it's who somebody has to bear the cost, as I mentioned. You know, if the pri property price keep goes up, who's bearing this cost? Unless it's a foreign buyers, right? Exactly. So, so this is why the game should be stopped. You know, yeah. at some point. But yet they can't stop because we are all still yeah, playing it, right? <laughs> so they make it harder to play the game. And that's why I think people complain because now the game is more difficult. Mm -hmm. more challenging mm. you know yeah. to to win the game right exactly. so then you know or, or only lucky people or only very smart you know uh, those with a strategy they can win the game and the rest of the people you know will be out of the game right so i think uh, that actually is the a lot of complaint is coming mm. i think yeah in fact a lot of other you know that if i have a delegation from other countries other cities they have an impression that there is no such game in singapore because the you mm. know the uh, sort of image of the singapore public housing is like really for uh, the affordability, affordable housing, and, you know, people live here, like, for their stable life, and the government uh, subsidized for this housing, right? So they are very surprised when I talk about, oh, you know, no, Singaporeans are very savvy at uh, investment. You know, they care about, like, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, some people, you know, do flipping, and they really uh, uh, are strategic in investors right uh then they are very surprised you know they think uh there is no such kind of investment uh sort of uh, dynamics going on in the hdb markets that's what a lot of uh, people kind of perceive singapore's public housing markets so it's very different sort of story that we have right but you're right perhaps you know uh in the older generation's time right there was no such game they didn't know you know if they can yeah. play the game but over time People just, you know, become smarter and, you know, they just, you know, knew that, oh, you know, I can actually play a game and win, right? And of course, I want to be a winner, you know, than the loser, right? So everybody's, just, I think, uh, you know, moving toward that direction. And the government, at some point, they just realize, you know, this is a problem. Yeah, yes. I think oh, it really fair. coincides also with like the rise of the internet and social media. So it's like the early people start to realize, hey, actually, I can do it in this mm. way. Hey, I really make that money and they start sharing, not just with their friends, but also online. Then you create for more people like, what is this game? What is this strategy? Then you have all the course providers coming up to say, hey, I will teach you the game. Come and pay $3,000, $4,000 to learn and you'll walk away with six digits in profits from this game. So it then started getting more popular, but that's exactly like what you said. The government doesn't even want us to play this game, yeah. but they can't mm. stop it. Mm. So they just make it harder. Mm. But it's still alive. Mm. It's very much alive unless they officially take away that dive. Yeah, maybe like when MOP becomes 15 years. Oh no, oh dear me, I hope not. <laughs> if you look at the new schemes for 15 years, if you want to factor in the building uh, period. Ah, that's fair. So like, because you go, then you have to wait five years. So and today, then... if you are 30 years old, then yeah. we only can flip when you're 45. That goes back to the point where they delay the intervals between flipping. Mm. They don't want Singaporeans to over leverage. But yet, it's something that no no one in the whole world, I think, can can manage. Yeah, property prices. If a country do well, it is bound to grow. 
Yeah. And the interesting thing also, like you mentioned, is that if you want to play this game, you still can, but you do it in a private market because your number of moves there have not changed. Mm. But don't do it in my public housing market. Yeah. That's the message. Yeah. That and that is what exactly happened last night. Sorry, last night. Yeah. If you look at the EBSD remission for uh, older, older, older private homeowners, Last time the remission only happens for matrimonial home. If you purchase a second private property, it ha- only happens for a matrimonial home, husband and wife. Then what about the singles? What about the widows? Then the only option now is to sell and move to HDB. That mm-hmm. will inevitably helps in terms of creating this supply and demand thing, pushing out the price again, right? Now by allowing EBSD remission for private owners, if they buy a private property of a lower value, it helps to mitigate it. Actually, I have the choice now. I don't need to go back to HDB. I can just buy a lower value resale private. Mm. It can be an easy resale easy as well, you know. True. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and to look at the pricing comparison, it's not too far off from prime location HDB prices. So then, I mean, if we move towards just the last sector as well, what we've sort of established here is HDB keep it as sociable, affordable housing. But if you want to sort of try and make some retirement and make some wealth out of it, go to the private market, mm. and then you have a few different areas and variables to play with. And you got to be strategic and smart to play with it in order to try and grow that wealth for retirement, right? Um, do we still feel that, for example, what I said, so we, I think the general consensus is we still feel the property market is good for as an asset for retirement and we can aim to grow some wealth through that, right? At least that's what I'm getting from this chat. I think what we need to do to know is that it's a, we need to look at a whole investment portfolio, retirement portfolio. Property mm. is only a part of it. Mm-hmm. We cannot fully rely on it. Mm. It's only a portion of it. Yeah. yeah. So if you have that correct mindset, then yes, it's part of the portfolio. It's not all. In that case, then how much should it be? Or what are, what are some tips or advice you can go of, of trying to grow that part of the retirement portfolio? Okay, maybe from what I see on the ground. Over the, past, point after, yeah. over the past decades, I've been managing residential properties. I've seen different people from all walks of life, different property assets. There's a few ways. Right, for people that move up to a higher quantum or higher value private, they can actually downsize all the way to uh, HTV. Mm. And usually those are older folks, you know. Because if you remember last time landed houses, uh, that wasn't that expensive. Many of the working teachers actually can afford it. Mm. They are asset rich, but maybe cash uh, mm. limited. Yes. Mm. Right? For them, it makes sense. Hey, that one is my retirement portfolio. Like, yeah, I should. I can sell off. I can buy a prudent housing HDB, and then I still have money for retirement, right? For people like us, generally more for homestay and family, looking after family. Yes, you move out to a private. Eventually, we can actually move down. There is also a game whereby, uh, if I want to look at, look at today's context, maybe I manage to own two properties. Eventually, there will be one that I'm going to cash out, and mm. I stay in the other one. Or I sell both and restructure. Looking at HDB, hope are not lost. <laughs> there are still challenges if we do our calculation properly. We will know that actually by which year, there will come a break even point that I need to make a decision today whether I want to swap my property already to another HDB or a, a lower value HDB. But if I am hoping that by holding my HDB and I could use it as my retirement portfolio, meaning I want to cash out, I think in today's market, it's very unlikely already. There is a life cycle for uh, uh, at the different age, you know, perhaps a younger age, uh, you need a larger house, you know, with the kids and then, you know, but you do not have enough cash and, you know, just keep paying your mortgage. And, you know, at the end of your sort of retirement, you know, the, about the retirement time, you have a full paid sort of, you know, mortgage house, but then you do not really have a lot of cash, right? You know, mm. you don't have uh, any uh, more income coming in. Now, you know, so I think uh, the important thing is how liquidate, uh, how you can liquidate your housing wells, right? So I think a lot of options uh, are for this downsizing, you know, there is a silver housing bonus, you know, there is a lease buyback scheme. Uh, this actually incentivizes the older uh, and elderly households, uh, they can actually downsize uh, to a smaller HDB unit so that the uh, cash can, uh, you know, be injected to their, their CPF accounts, right? So then, you know, with the more cash, you know, their lives will be better, you know, you know, at the same time, they just, you know, have their own house, they can age in place, 
But there are other options these days. You know, there is a uh, like you know, Kampong at Marty. You know, those in the silver towns. You know, there are a lot of other sort of the community uh, care apartments. These community care apartments will be very suitable for those who do not need a big space, but then they need uh, some nursing cares. You know, or mm-hmm. even the, for the independent living uh, elderly households, they can have a lot of community areas. You know, which is really good for them, right? So these kind of options are also, I think, is really good one. You know, that's another segment of the market that the elderly households, because they have totally different demand uh, compared to other households uh, and in the different life cycles, they can actually sort into these uh, housing units. And then they actually set off their existing housing units with the bigger rooms, the more rooms, Mm. and then they can be recycled to uh, be occupied by the uh, younger generation. So this kind of recycling should really happen efficiently. I think that's the key of the Singapore housing policy because it's a really limited land resource. We do not have enough number of housing units if uh, somebody occupies this for the entire their life, right? So we need to recycle the units, you know, over and over. So when you, you know, get to the point of your life cycle that you don't need a really larger homes, then, you know, you need to really recycle to, you know, this big home to the uh, younger generation so they can actually uh, have this housing at the affordable price, right? So that's the core idea of this kind of the silver uh, housing bonus and then the late buyback schemes and, you know, all these kind of new schemes for the elderly housing. So I hope it should work. I mean, you know, for me, this is a very good policy. It should work out because that will have a spillovers to other uh, housing market segments. You know, that's that's my kind of thinking because, you know, like you say, the landed housing will be sold by these people, elderly people. They will move to, you know, the smaller housing that will be occupied by somebody else, you know, who can afford and, you know, maybe, you know, they need this uh, bigger housing, right? So this kind of recycling should happen more frequently. Mm. You know, that's that's what I really hope. Right. Yeah. yeah, that concept is really insightful. Can I check, right? So in the course of your research, what would you rate the efficiency of this recycling in Singapore housing versus other similar mm. landscape countries, say, for instance, Hong Kong? So I think uh, one of the really good things about Singapore's uh, policy, housing policy, is that there is no capital gains tax, right? So uh, it makes easier for the housing sellers, you know, to make a decision. And now uh, with a, a budget, new budget, uh, there is a new uh, proposal that the ABSD uh, remission, right, mm-hmm. for the elderly folks. So this is very, very mm-hmm. relevant. So, you know, uh, before you have to actually pay 15% or 20% of your second home, even though you're going to sell it off, right? But now if you sell it uh, within the six months of time, then, you know, you can uh, get remission, right? Uh, which is really helpful. So when people decide what to, you know, when to sell, you know, whether, whether to sell, they really care about, you know, what's the cost out of their pocket. You know, of course, they also are concerned about, you know, how much profit they make. But uh, this out-of-pocket cost is a very big thing, especially for the elderly households because they don't have a lot of cash. But now, because we give this kind of options uh, for the ABSD remission, and then, you know, with uh, no capital gains tax, there is a strong incentive for these uh, older folks, you know, to sell their housing and downsize, right? This actually helps uh, liquidate their housing wealth, as I mentioned mentioned and you know then uh, this housing will be available for recycling for the other generations mm. you know I think uh, that kind of uh, policy is very unique for Singapore because other countries do not have uh, such kind of uh, uh, tax remission or they do not really have those kind of easier uh, selling scheme you know because a lot of countries have uh, capital gains tax mm. so yes. with that I think Singapore has a very good environment to have a more sort of uh, recycling especially for the older generation, they just inherit, you know, down these, not inherit to their own kids. You know, I'm talking about, you know, they just, you know, leave this housing and uh, for the younger generation. So would you say then like in other landscape countries like Hong Kong, because of the policies on capital gain taxes and all, that recycling does not happen as efficiently. There is sort of, you know, stronger motivation for them to hold the properties if there is a capital gains tax because capital gains tax, I don't really know uh, exactly about Hong Kong's housing policy, but, you know, in Korea, there is a capital gains tax. It actually really deter uh, the uh, households to sell the housing because this capital gains tax can be uh, uh, 50% you know, of mm. your selling price. You know, it's, it's really, really, no, no, 50% of your profit. Right. Mm. So it's a it's a huge sort of amount. So a lot of people would like, you know, rather just hold the property than selling. That's actually makes the market less efficient. So and then because they hold on, the government needs to keep 
finding new spaces or building up new yes. for the younger mm. generation yes, and yes. then that's where it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work out, yes right? and then this is very painful also for the older folks because they have to pay higher property tax right mm. like <laughs> Singapore has increased the property tax recently uh, other countries also have increased the t- property tax then you know these people cash for uh, cash for but you know housing rich right so they have a big housing they have to pay higher uh, property tax but they have no cash but they don't want to sell because of the, these uh, capital gains tax so this is kind of really catch to to situation for them um and then you know the government hoped uh if we increase the property tax they will uh sell the house but they won't they won't yeah yeah because the other tax is too high mm. right so this is also and, you know, yes. and also there is another mechanism because they believe they they have a very strong belief that housing price is going to go up so it can compensate uh, for all these taxes that they pay mm. because the property tax is minimal if you compare it to the appreciation you know house price appreciation and you know, investment potential right so they would you know of course you know maybe they can uh, get the loan you know to pay the uh, property tax you know they would still keep the property because they mm. believe this prop- property will go up you know for the price so this is another thing you know how the government gives a signal to the market is housing market will be hot you know, keep hot, like, you know, for the next, uh, uh, you know, at least in the next uh, 10 years or, you know, 20 years, if they believe no matter what kind of uh, uh, tax measures you you use, people will still invest. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that's another, you know, very important thing, you know, how the government sort of gives a signal for the market to the market. Very oh, this has been thoughts. very insightful. Okay, so to wrap up, I think maybe let's end off with saying how we see the property game or cycle or um, trend pointing towards. Uh, we'll start with you. So you being a real estate consultant and you sell and recommend houses for your clients accordingly. Do you still think that there is room for many Singaporeans who wish to have property as their portfolio for stability and retirement? Do you think that game can still be played? I would like to think that we can still plan ahead because we go through different life stages in life, mm. right? It's important to plan ahead so that we want that options to be available. Doesn't necessarily mean we have to implement, but suppose we need to implement it, that option must be open. Rather than make a choice where next time I don't have a chance to restructure or recorrect, then that will be detrimental to our portfolio already, correct? Yeah, so I will advise us to plan ahead. Yes, is there room? Definitely. Yeah, definitely there are still rooms. What I'm getting, so I'm going to do the sure. budget big thing here, <laughs> is that um, I think for our parents' era, property being the only thing they invested in mm. was a very good strategy. Mm. It worked for them, but it's not going to work as well for us anymore because of all the changing schemes and taxes and subsidy clawbacks, so on and so forth. So for someone of our era, what we need to consider is, do we want to, if we want to replicate our parents' game, we must recognize that it's a much harder game to play today and hence really think about all these multifaceted aspects that we talk about and factor that into your decision. Then you can be good at still playing that game. But if you think that has gotten too complicated or you're not good at doing this, then in this case, another way could be well, as what our our, hate, our boss here loves, right? Do the CPF live option. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do your property. Do CPF live. Go and downsize, put all the money on CPF live and then leave off the money in a smaller but okay home. That can be another option. Or it can also be if you don't want to let go of your houses. Uh, we actually know of quite a few retirees who just rent out their houses. Mm. So they want to mm. hold on because there's emotional, sentimental value. Um, they like the idea that they can sell and downsize but sorry, not for me. So what they do instead is they cannot cope. So they rent out certain houses that's like their passive income and they manage from there. So there is a lot of options. Some paths have been closed. Not really closed, lah, right? But more rocks placed <laughs> there. So it's harder for you to yeah. go that path, but it's still open and we need to navigate it. That's what I'm getting. I think uh, the, the game, uh, you know, again, you know, <laughs> for me, you know, I don't think it's an appropriate word, you know, especially for public, public housing markets, you know. It is a home that you leave. It's not home for the game, right? So I think, you know, how to make uh, housing markets uh, more stable, affordable, if that's the main agenda for the government, then um, how to sort of, you know, fight against the very bad uh, gamers. I think that should be the, uh, the you know, the main policy points. But <laughs> the, I think the, uh, the government, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the government has done a very good job. You know, I think they have recognized this issue uh, unless they, you know, although they didn't really tell, right? I think, uh, uh, and a lot of uh, new policy schemes actually help uh, 
uh, sort of uh, slow down the scheme, as you mentioned earlier. And I think uh, hopefully uh, this uh, can uh, stabilize the market. And, you know, I think uh, just, you know, going pointing out a little bit about this renting, right? For me, I think uh, another thing that they actually can do a little bit better job in is uh, rental HDB flats because now, that is really limited option for the HDB mm. rental flats. Yeah. But again, you know, people have different types of demand. You know, now that the uh, game's becoming more diffi uh, difficult and challenging, maybe the young uh, generation, you know, some people, they want to rent because it's actually a lower transaction cost. And then, you know, they can be more mobile. They can actually go to uh, China to uh, have another job. Then if you have a HDB, it's a hassle. You don't have to set it off, you know, or rent out, you know. So renting actually is a lot simpler and easier. But then the problem is we do not have a very good uh, affordable rental options because now the renting is a very, very limited choice. But this is a chicken and egg question because we do not have a very good rental options. Maybe there is a lower rental demand or maybe there is a lower rental demand. You know, the government doesn't really uh, care too much about, you know, providing the good rental options, right? But I think uh, at least if there is uh, some demand for renting, we should really uh, think about how to accommodate this rental demand. And I think uh, that is uh, has not been discussed as much as the home ownership. Mm. That's why I wanted to bring up at the end. Well, I think on my side, two separate, two separate sides, right? One is if you're going with the HDB, the housing market, just live in it. That's for you. That's for you to recycle. If you want to play in it, then you have to have certain, obviously certain um, barriers or certain, you have to have certain wealth in order to even play in that market. Otherwise, I think you should be looking at other other options. Mm -hmm. But it's not like the previous generation. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's been the discussion today. Thank you so much for we listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this alternative budget debate and Definitely. stay tuned for the next episodes. <laughs> and if you haven't already gotten your tickets to our TST Financial Wellness event happening on the 23rd of March downtown in Orchard, so it's really central, okay? No excuse not to come. Please <laughs> go and grab your tickets. We'll put in the link below. We'll be there. We'll be doing live podcasts you can ask your questions interact with us and tickets are really cheap now by the way so please go and grab it before they run out we'll see you there Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.